The following is the second message entitled, Seven Responsibilities for Responding to Enemies. Part 39 of the series, A Righteousness of God, was given by Bob Mundorf on the 1st of March, 2015. To learn more about our church, please visit sgcindianapa.org. Last week, last week, we had part one of a two-part series through some verses in the book of Romans, chapter 12. And last week, I heard from a number of folks, and I felt this way too, that what we were called to last week in those verses were really hard, difficult, unnatural, against our grain kind of things to do. Blessing our enemies, doing good to those who do bad to us. This morning... Uh, Heather and Jim Rice sent me an article, a news article, that really illustrates what we talked about last week. And I'd like to read it to you, it's very short, as a lead-in to this week's message. Headline, heart-stopping, brother of slain Coptic Christians, thanks ISIS. You'll never believe why. It says, in heart-stopping testimony... Bashir Kamel, brother of the two of two of the Coptic Christians beheaded by ISIS in Libya, called into a TV show yesterday and said he thanks ISIS for keeping the Christians' last words of Lord Jesus Christ in their brutal video because ISIS strengthened our faith. He goes on and says, since the Roman era, this is the era that the book we are currently in, took place since the Roman era, Christians have been martyred and have learned to handle everything that comes our way, says Bashir. This only makes us stronger in our faith because the Bible told us to love our enemies and bless those who curse us. goes on, says Bashir Kamal's words visibly moved Maher Fayez, the host of the Arabic Christian channel shown that Bashir called into. The host asked him, if he would forgive the members of ISIS that murdered his brothers. Bashir said he asked that same question of his mother. He goes on, My mother, an uneducated woman in her 60s, said she would ask them to enter her house and ask God to open their eyes because they were the reason her sons entered the kingdom of heaven. And he concluded his call-in by praying on the air for the men who killed his brothers He said, Dear God, please open their eyes to be saved and to quit their ignorance and the wrong teachings they were taught. This is exactly what we were talking about last week. He found a way to bless even these extremist enemies, the ISIS terrorists. And this news, this news article is going viral because it's shocking to the world. I mean, being good and blessing those who do something that evil to us, it's just shocking to people. This is a perfect illustration of of last week's passage where we looked at the first five of seven responsibilities for responding to our enemies. And we're going to look at the last two today, but let's review those first five that we talked about last week that came from the verses in Romans. Number one was bless them came from verse 14. Also from verse 14, number two, do not curse them. Number three, 
Never return bad for bad. Number four, plan good from verse 17. That was what we called premeditated goodness. Planning good ahead of time. And number five, be the peacemaker from verse 18. Now, I know that after last week's message, after talking to many of you, that we, we, we tended to think after hearing that something like this. So, we're supposed to just be the doormat and let people step all over us. Is that, is that what you're saying? You just let the bad guys get away with everything? Well, yes and no. Yes and no. And that's what we're going to talk about today in our passage. Our passage answers the question today. We're going to cover the last two responsibilities that we have from verses 19 through 21. And in these verses, which we'll read in just a minute, we will see that, yes, we are going to get stepped on. We are going to be mistreated. We are going to suffer unjustly. But it doesn't end there. We'll see in these verses that nobody, and I mean nobody, mistreats a child of God and gets away with it. Our response to these things that we looked at this last week and this week, they determine, in, in a sense, what will happen to those who are our enemies. And we will see that as we look. Let's look at verses uh, 19 through 21 of Romans chapter 12. It says, Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, Vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. So on a real basic level, this passage tells us two things. One, that our responsibility when it comes to being mistreated or taking revenge on those who mistreat us is to really just let it go and let God. To leave it to the wrath of God. And two, that if we do this thing God's way, that we will overcome the evil that comes against us. So essentially... These verses are God's game plan for responding to and conquering evil. So I'm going, to, I'm going to tweak the title a little bit from seven responsibilities for responding to our enemies to, for today, seven responsibilities for responding to and defeating our enemies. Start with verse 19. This is where the first one today, number five, comes from. Let go and let God. Verse 19 says, Beloved, Never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it, is, for it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, I will repay, says the Lord. Now, as I said last week, many of us, most of us, probably all of us know how it feels to be mistreated, how it feels to be treated badly. And I'm sure there are so many varying degrees in this room of how people have been mistreated. I mean, everything from, you know, if you would call this mistreatment, getting really upset at the snowplow driver because he threw a bunch of snow in your driveway, and he does that every week, week after week, to 
somebody doing something to you where you, it's, it's caused a lifelong change. It's something that has changed your life for the worst. I mean, it could be anything. You may have been mistreated on the way into church this morning by your spouse. Uh, kids, you, you might have been mistreated in some way by your brother or sister. You might be thinking of something a lot bigger than those things. But nevertheless, our passage doesn't discriminate. Our passage tells us how to respond anytime we've been mistreated by someone. So this applies across the board. You remember that uh, truck driver last week in the opening illustration? How many of you were here last week for the message? Okay, most of you have had heard that story I gave about the truck driver, and uh, he uh, he took vengeance. I mean, I picture this truck driver. Did you ever see those big trucks with the mud flaps that have Yosemite Sam on the back that say, "I don't get mad, I get even"? When this guy ran over those bikes and he's driving away, that's kind of what I'm seeing in my mind. He has those mud flaps, and you know, we we aren't to do that. We aren't to get even with those who do evil to us. That's what we talked about last week. There, there is no vengeance on our part, but it doesn't mean that there is no vengeance. That's what we're told this week in our passage. When we take vengeance into our own hands, we're actually, what we're doing is we're stepping out of our God-given place and we're stepping into God's place. It's, it's His role. Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. When we do it, we step into His role. That's what this is telling us. In verse 19, literally, word for word, this phrase, leave it to the wrath of God, says this. It says, give place to the wrath of God. Give place to the wrath of God. And this helps us to understand what it means because when you look up that phrase in the Bible, in your New Testament, and you you look at where that phrase is used in other places. It just opens up our understanding. So, for example, we're going to look at one. Luke chapter 14, verses 7 through 9, use this exact same phrase. And this is where it says, So he told a parable to those who were invited when he noted how they chose the best places, saying to them, When you are invited by anyone to a wedding feast, do not sit down at the best place, lest one more honorable than you be invited by him. And he who invited you, you and him, come and say to you, give place to this man. And then you begin with shame to take the lowest place. This is the same phrase that's in our passage. Give place to. See, when we are taking vengeance into our own hands, and when we repay bad for bad, we're actually sitting ourselves in a seat that we're not qualified nor authorized to sit in biblically. We're sitting down in God's, in God's throne. This is His job to do according to our verse today. He gives vengeance, not us. There's a, a perfect illustration of this that comes from the Old Testament book of Genesis. A man named Joseph. He understood this. I want us to look at this illustration because it just captures it perfectly. Genesis chapter 37. And Joseph, by the way, he understood, you'll see, what it meant to be mistreated and abused and hurt by people and wronged. He suffered unjustly. It says in verse 3, Now Israel, that was his father, loved Joseph 
more than any other of his sons, because he was the son of his old age, and he made him a robe of many colors. But when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all his brothers, they hated him and could not speak peacefully to him. Now Joseph had a dream, and when he told it to his brothers, they hated him even more. Now this wasn't your everyday sibling rivalry here. This, this wasn't like, you know, your sister eating the last of the Fruit Loops and you get upset. This is terrible mistreatment. These guys were going to kill Joseph. So one day, Joseph, his father, sent him out to find his brothers in the field. And we pick it up at verse 18. It says, They saw him from afar, and before he came near to them, they conspired against him to kill him. And they said to one another, Here comes this dreamer. Come now, let us kill him and throw him into one of the pits. Then we will say that a fierce animal has devoured him, and we will see what becomes of his dreams. Verse 23. So when Joseph came to his brothers, they stripped him of his robe, the robe of many colors that he wore. And they took him and they threw him into a pit. The pit was empty and there was no water in it. So most of you know the rest of the story. His brothers didn't actually kill him, but they did the next worst thing. They threw him into this pit and they left him there to die. But eventually some slave traders came by and they sold him into slavery in Egypt. Now, eventually, if you know the story, God gave Joseph favor. And even as a slave and a prisoner in Egypt, over the years, Joseph rose up to a position of authority, second in command in Egypt. Now, think about this. If there was ever a man in a position to get revenge, it was Joseph. I mean, if there was ever someone with the right to take revenge into his own hands and then actually carry it out, it was Joseph. He was abused, he was terribly mistreated, and he was moved up to this position by God. So how would you, how would you respond if you were him? I mean, think about how you would respond if one day your brothers came and appeared before you, and you saw them. Look at how Joseph responded. Verse 15 of Genesis 50 tells us, When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, It may be that Joseph will hate us and pay us back for all the evil that we did to him. So they were worried about this. Joseph paying them back for the evil. They came and they actually were before him unknowingly, and he saw them and recognized them. And verse 19 tells us what Joseph thought and how he responded. Verse 19, Joseph said to them, Do not fear, for am I in the place of God? See, Joseph understood exactly what our verses are telling us today. We're not in the place of God. We shouldn't take revenge into our own hands and repay evil for evil. This is God's one of God's job responsibilities, not ours. Joseph understood it. Am I in the place of God? He's like, no, I, I'm not going to do that. Why? Because I understand God's role, and I understand my role. And it's exactly the same for us today. It hasn't changed. Are we in the place of God? Do we understand the difference between God's place and our place? 
This is telling us that if there's any getting to be done, that God's going to get it done. And it's a big if, if there's any getting to be done. See, for us, this is one of the reasons it's God's place. For us, emotions really play into it and can, can skew our view of what may, justice may look like or what revenge may look like. I mean, think back to the, the sibling rivalry that is more common. You know, sister takes the last bowl of Fruit Loops. I mean, at that point, you might be so mad if you're eight years old that you want God to send a lightning bolt down from heaven and fry your sister. That would be totally unjust and unreasonable, but emotions can play into this. That's why we have to leave it to the one who judges justly, God. And He will take revenge for us if we do that. He will always judge justly and give an appropriate response. In, in verse 19 it says, For it is written, it is written, vengeance is mine. This is a quote from the Old Testament. And like I said, this has never changed. This has been the same throughout history for, for believers. It is written, comes from Deuteronomy 32, 35. It says this, Vengeance is mine, and retribution... Now listen to this. In due time, in due time, their foot will slip. For the day of their calamity is near, and the impending things are hastening upon them. See, <clears throat> when we leave it to the wrath of God, like it says, when we do this, when we don't step into His place and take this into our own hands, it's just a matter of time. And really, for us, this is a matter of faith. Do we believe this stuff? If we really believe this stuff, then we're going to let it to the wrath of God. It's, it says there, in due time their foot will slip. Their calamity is near. It's going to happen. God has it all under control. It's just letting go of it and giving it to Him. Johnny Cash has a song <clears throat> that I like. It's called, God is going to cut you down. God's going to cut you down. In the song, he's warning unrepentant sinners that no matter how hard they try, they will not outrun God's vengeance. This is what we're talking about today. The, the, the lyrics in one part of the song say this, You may throw your rock and hide your hand, working in the dark against your fellow man. But as sure as God made black and white, what's done in the dark will be brought into the light. You can run on for a long, long time, but sooner or later, God will cut you down. This is biblical. Johnny got it right. It's biblical. In Hebrews chapter 10, verse 30, we read this. For we know Him who said, Vengeance is mine. I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge His people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. The Lord will judge who? His people. His own people are not immune to His judgment. As Joe mentioned last week at the close of the message, some of us in here, though we're believers, may be the offender in this. We, some of us may be the one mistreating our brother and, or sister in some way. As Johnny said, 
You can run, but you can't hide. Unless you confess your sin to the Lord. Unless you confess it. Unless you plead guilty. That's what it means to confess our sin. 1 John 1.9 If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us. If we, if we, believers, confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Unless we confess, unless we plead guilty, we will be found guilty one day. And it will catch up with us. See, there are consequences to this kind of behavior, even for the believer. We reap what we sow. doesn't mean that we're going to go to hell. doesn't mean that we lose our eternal life or salvation. But the Scripture tells us that the Lord will judge His people. There's a very comforting passage in the book of Romans for anyone here who maybe is really angry at a Christian brother or sister for the way they for the things they've done. Romans 14 brings both correction to you if you feel that way and comfort to you if you feel that way. It tells us this in verse 10. It says, "Why do you despise your brother?" See, this is speaking to believers because unbeliever and a believer can't be a brother. This is, why do, you, why do you despise your brother in Christ? And then he says, For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. For it is written, As I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall confess to God. So then each one of us, each one of us, will give an account of himself to God. You and I as believers will give an account of ourselves to God. This is why it's so important that if you are offending, if you're the offender in a relationship, that you confess that sin and you repent of it right away. Because you'll have to give an account of this to God. This is not a judgment for salvation in Romans 14. This is another judgment. We will all have to stand before God to give an account. Our sins are forgiven legally. And we have eternal life if we've believed in Jesus Christ as God who died and rose from the dead. But if we then go on living a certain way where we're sinning willfully, we will have to give an account of that to God one day. Not only that, but Hebrews goes on, we won't take the time to look at it, but Hebrews, Hebrews goes on to tell us that we will be chastened for that. Now, in this temporal realm, in this life, we will be disciplined by the Lord. It says He disciplines those He He loves. So, on one side, there's a call for any one of us who are mistreating our brothers and sisters to confess that and repent from it. On on the other side, there there is comfort intended in this uh, passage in Romans 14 because it's telling us why we don't have to despise our brother. Why we don't have to hold on to anger. It's because we have to realize they have to give an account to God for that. They don't have to give an account to me. They have to give an account to God for that. They don't have to give an account to you. But they will stand before the Lord. And there is a way that we can find motivation in that to let it go and give it to the wrath of God. If there's wrath to be given, He'll give it because He judges justly. Now... The big idea so far is this. When you're wronged, your job is to simply let go and let God. Let go of the vengeance and let God handle it. 
But one thing I want to point out before we go on to the next point, one thing that fuels, that really fuels bitterness inside of us, the kind of bitterness that leads us to take revenge into our own hands, one thing that fuels that is whenever we are stewing on the wrongs mentally that have been done to us, when we keep thinking about those, when you keep an account of the wrongs that somebody's done to you, that, that really stews that bitterness and it, it begins to boil. And eventually, everyone who's taken vengeance into their own hands has not stopped that process. And so that's why, and this is very helpful if, if this is you who just continue to keep this record of wrongs that someone's done to you, this is why 1 Corinthians 13.5 tells us about love. It says, Love, for which we're to have for all people, enemies, and neighbors, does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. And here, here it is. It keeps no record of wrongs. We're to love our neighbors, our brothers, our sisters, and our enemies. And love keeps no record of wrongs. I mean, it's, it's clear and simple. It keeps no record of wrongs. So unless... Unless someone works in law enforcement, police officer, detective, works for the court system, there's, there's really not a good reason for us to keep record of wrongs, even a mental one. We're to love one another, and according to this, this passage and many others, love doesn't keep records. It'll only make you bitter and resentful. This is just another way to, to let go and let God, to give it over to God. I know that's hard. I know that when you think of the things that people have done to you, that's really hard. But this comes down to, this is what the Scripture says. Now, what are we going to do with that? God will give us the ability. He has already given you the ability to carry this out if you're a Christian. One time at, uh, at fellowship group, uh, one, of the, one, of, one spouse in the group was bringing up some other stuff that years ago a spouse had done. And uh, John Scherf said, he said, let me, let me read this because I won't get it right. He said, oh, that's just water over the dam. And it took a minute for that to register. Oh, that's just water over the dam. Because we all thought he was going to say, that's just water under the bridge. But you get it? That's just water over the dam. It's like that shows that we were harboring, someone was harboring all these thoughts. They were dammed up and then they're just coming out right now. It's the difference between letting it go and letting that water go under the bridge and, and holding on and then eventually it, it comes out. And uh, doing this, I mean, just being able to let it go is, is really, it's a matter of trusting God because of what our passage says, because of what all these passages we've looked at say. He won't let it go. We can, because He won't. Now, if we believe this, if we really believe this, then we will trust Him to handle it. We will entrust it to Him. That's exactly what we're supposed to do. Entrust it to Him. And that's what Jesus, who the Scriptures tell us are, is our very pattern in this, did when He was reviled, when He was mistreated, when He was unjustly persecuted. He entrusted it to him who judges justly. Look at 1 Peter chapter 2. This is a, 
a critical scripture reference for us to, to get. So I'm not, just really try to, to take this in. This is at the core of what we're talking about. It says, For what credit is it if when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? In other words, listen, there, if, you, if you sin against someone and they beat you up for that, and you think, I'm going to just, I'm going to endure this. There's really no credit to that. But look what he says next. But if when you do good, when you do good and suffer for it, you endure. And that's what we're talking about, right? Being unjustly persecuted, being mistreated, being abused. When you do good and suffer for it, you endure. This is a gracious thing in the sight of God. For, look at this, for to this... This, suffering unjustly, being mistreated, to this you have been called. That's what that guy in the article, I didn't read it all, said. He said, we consider it a privilege that our brothers were martyred in this way because this is what Christ has called us to. And we, in the same way, have been called to suffering unjustly because, here's why, Christ also suffered for you leaving for you an example, a pattern, a way to show us how to deal with this so that you might follow in His footsteps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in His mouth, but when He was reviled, He did not revile in return. When He suffered, He did not threaten, but continued entrusting Himself to Him who judges justly. This is our pattern. This is what we're called to, and this is how we're called to respond. He did not revile in return. He didn't repay evil for evil. But our Lord, Jesus Christ, this is what He did. He continued entrusting Himself to Him who judges justly. That's why this is a matter of trusting God. God the Father judges justly. And if you entrust those mistreatments, those abuses, those unjust sufferings to Him to deal with, He will. He will take care of it. He will. Vengeance is Mine, says the Lord. There is wrath for those who are your enemies. So whatever, whatever we've suffered, we've got to leave it to the wrath of God. We've got to entrust it to Him. And we can't say, but I'm not Jesus. I can't do this. This is Jesus, the Son of God. He, he can do it. We can't say that because... The verse tells us that He did it to be our pattern so that we can follow in His footsteps. I mean, we might think our case is some kind of exception or we're too weak, but if you're a Christian, God has regenerated you with His Holy Spirit, which means you have the power and the ability to do whatever He calls you to do. He's enabled you already to do it. We have no excuse. If we walk in His ways... If we walk by His Spirit in dependence upon Him, if we allow Christ to live through us and put to death our flesh and deny ourselves, we'll do this. I guarantee you, if you're a Christian, you can do this. It's, it's hard, but that's because our flesh battles against it. But we're called to deny ourselves, to take up our cross, and to follow Him. Follow Him in this pattern. This is why. This is why Jesus didn't just totally destroy those people that came against Him. He could have. He was God. He's God. He could have just 
brought fire down from heaven on them. He could have killed them. He could have called 10,000 angels to fight for him. But he didn't. This is why. Because he was leaving us an example. So if we follow Christ, that's, by the way, what it means to be a Christian, a follower of Christ. If you follow Christ, it's not what it means to be saved. You, you, we are saved by believing in the gospel. But as a follower of Jesus, which we're called to after we're saved, this is what we're called to. This is the very kind of thing. So, we've got to let it go and give it to God. And finally, in verses 20 and 21, we see the last responsibility. And this is really the clincher. This is the nail in the coffin for how we really defeat our enemies in verses 20 and 21. It says, To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, for by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. And I call this, if I'm summing these verses up in the last responsibility under the seven responsibilities for responding to enemies, this is when. This is a commandment. When. Here's why. Here's why this is when. The word overcome, which appears twice in verse 21, is the Greek word nike. Nike, and how you would pronounce it today in modern Greek is Nike. If any of you have a swoosh on your shoe, you probably have this word on your shoe. Okay, The word nike. Nike. This word, according to Strong's Greek Dictionary, means this. To conquer. To be victorious over your foes. To win. That's what we're called to do here. There is a commandment in these verses, and we're called to do it. We are commanded to win when evil comes against us. This is why this is not only seven responsibilities for responding to your enemies, but for defeating them as well, or at least defeating the evil that comes against you. This is not just getting stepped on. This is not just doormat Christianity. I mean, here's where we see the victory that comes in responding in this way. Verse 20 tells us exactly how to do it. It says, If your enemy's hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. You know who Phil Robertson is from Duck Dynasty? Well, he has a book called Happy, Happy, Happy that I read. And Phil's a believer in Jesus Christ. And in his book, he was telling how much of an impact these verses that we're talking about today had in his life. Phil was a uh, a rough dude before he got saved. And as he got saved, he began to become a follower of Jesus Christ by reading the Scriptures and surrendering his life to those Scriptures. And this is what he said about these verses that we're talking about. He said, <clears throat> When I was a commercial fisherman, I sometimes had over a hundred hoop nets and trot lines on the river. But there were these pirates on the river who kept coming and stealing my fish. When I saw people stealing my fish... I'd run them down with my shotgun and scare the daylights out of them. It didn't do me much good, though, because they kept stealing my fish. I made enemies all over the river. But during this time, I kept reading and studying the Bible while the stealing was going on. Once I read Romans 12:17 through 21. I read those verses and sat there thinking, there ain't no way that's going to work. No way. Be good to them? 
But Lord, they're stealing from me. It made no sense to me, but I decided I was going to do it the Lord's way. So one day I caught these guys pulling up my nets. Now I knew I was going to try it God's way, but my faith was still a little weak, so I carried my shotgun as insurance. As I rode up on them, they began to try to talk themselves out of it. But I said in a cheerful voice, Good times have come your way, boys. They looked at me confused, wondering what I was up to. I still had my Browning A5 shotgun in my hand. Evidently, you guys plan to fish fry and try to steal my fish. But I'm going to give them to you. And he went on to explain that he picked up all the fish out of the net and threw them into his boat, into their boat. And while he was doing this, they began to apologize to him. And he told them, he said, he told them where he lived up the river. And he said, boys, if you need fish, just come on over and ask. You don't need to steal from me anymore. If you need them, I'll just give them to you. And they thanked him, and they rode away with the fish with confused looks on their faces, and they never stole from him again. Now, Phil said that that incident on the river in surrendering to the lordship of Jesus Christ and obeying him in that moment had an even more profound impact on his life. He said that he realized after that that he had something far greater than fish to share with people. And he began, after that, to take his boys out and evangelize people and share the gospel. And over the years, he said that they baptized hundreds of men and women in that very river where the fish were being stolen. But for for us to do this, I mean, it, it just comes down to a matter of trusting God, trusting in the way he said we're to live our lives. And that's what Phil was doing here. He was trusting in the lordship of Jesus Christ, that he knows better than I do when it comes to how to respond to evil. That's what it comes down to for us as well. Now, in this passage, we see one of the benefits of doing this God's way. As, as we submit to this passage, it says in, uh, in verse 20, To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, by doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. You will heap burning coals on his head. Now the burning coals represent God's wrath. And many times this wrath comes in the form of conviction. See, this wrath could come right away, or it could not. Maybe the person isn't going to change. But eventually... God's wrath will come on them. But when it does come in the form of conviction, this may actually change our enemies' hearts. And there are many, many stories of how when Christians responded this way to their enemies, their hearts changed. In the same way that God's kindness brings people to repentance, our kindness to them brings people to repentance many times as well. This goes along with the proverb, a soft answer turns away wrath. See, I read a story this week about um, Isaac Watts, and this illustrates this a little bit. He, it's just a quick one. He was walking down the street or something, and he had this dog chasing him and just kind of nipping at his legs and annoying him. So he got angry, and he picked up a rock, and he threw it at this dog. Now, he didn't intend to really hurt the dog severely, but, but it actually the rock went straighter and harder than he intended probably because he was emotional, he was angry, hit the dog in the leg and broke it. Broke the dog's leg. The dog picked up his leg and limped over to him and just started licking him. 
Instantly, Isaac Watts said his heart just melted. It just broke for what he did to this dog. Many times, we will have this effect if we do this God's way, where the person who's offending us, they will just be convicted and they will feel terrible when we do something kind to them and and they'll change. Not always, though. But it's a way that we can pour these burning coals of God's wrath on their head and if they don't come now, they will come eventually. One day, these people will be very aware of what they did to you when they stand before the Lord. And it will come then. But here's the thing. Here's the thing. God has called us to suffer unjustly. And He has given us a very precise game plan for responding to that suffering. And that game plan, if we follow it, will ensure that we will win. We will overcome evil, as it says in the last verse. question is, do, do we have faith? Do we believe? Are we going to buy into this plan or are we going to do it our own way? If we believe God in these verses, then that will change the way we respond when somebody brings evil to us. So that's the question. That's what I leave us with. How will you respond to mistreatment? Will you respond your way or will you respond God's way? As a review, just if we can project the seven responsibilities from last week and this week. Number one, bless them. We bless our enemies. That means we, we speak or wish well of them. Just like the guy did, the brother of the martyr. He prayed for those enemies. He wished well of them. He wished God would change their heart. That's a way that we can bless people. Do, do not curse them. To curse is to speak or wish evil against someone. We're not allowed to do this. It's a very clear commandment. The Lord doesn't allow us to do this, to curse our enemies when they persecute us. Number three, never return bad for bad. This is a, a lot of what we talked about today, taking matters into our own hands. Yosemite Sam, I don't get mad, I get even. This is, we're not allowed to do that. Number four, plan good. Last week we talked about the, the word in this verse giving forethought to doing good in the sight of all, that they might glorify God. See, when we do this, when we premeditate goodness and think about how we're going to respond in a good way, and then we carry it out, people see that. And they know that didn't come from us. Because it couldn't. So they glorify God. That's what we're called to do. Plan good. Number five, be the peacemaker as much as it's possible. As much as it's possible. And we looked last week at times when it's not possible. You can get the message online if you want to know more about those times. But as much as possible, we are to bring peace. Literally cultivate peace toward all people. All people. Number six. Let go and let God. We looked at that in verse 19 today. We've got to let go of taking it into our own hands. And let God handle it for us. Because He will. And finally, we're called in verses 20 and 21 to win. Overcome. That's what it means, to win. To defeat our foes by doing this thing God's way. Now, Satan's going to discourage every single one of us from doing this. 
in, in various ways. He's going to make you feel like you can't do this. He's going to make you feel like your case is an exception. But you can, and your case is not an exception. God will empower you to do it and to carry this out. So the exhortation is look for ways to do it this week. Big ways, small ways. We probably each have dozens of opportunities in front of us as we leave this building and go into our regular routine through the week. Let's respond God's way. Let's all stand. We'll have the band come up and we'll pray and end the service with one last song. Father, we realize that this is something that we cannot do on our own. But you said, greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. Help us to remember that when Satan discourages us from carrying this out. Lord, we believe that you will not call us to do something that you won't enable us to do. And that we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. Give us that faith as we sing this last song and leave here this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.